Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big Recon on Sports Podcast. I am your host, I am the Big Recon. Today is Monday, October the 12th, 2020, and I miscounted, and I want to say I'm sorry to everybody, I thought this was the 75th episode of the Big Recon on Sports Podcast. It was actually last Thursday night when I had the great pleasure of having Joe uh, from Cleveland Me come on and we discussed um, Colts and Browns. From yesterday, I'm happy to say the Cleveland Browns are 4-1, and one and, well, it also could be a sign of the apocalypse. So tonight, I want to get into several different topics, and you can see I got my Mets hat on along with the original Big Recon shirt. Uh, so I'm going to start with something besides this, and that is um, Major League Baseball has lost its sixth Hall of Famer in the last year uh, with the untimely passing of uh, Joe Morgan who many people consider the greatest second baseman of all time. The main cog in the Big Red Machine of the 70s, Morgan won back-to-back MVPs in the 70s, and then, after a distinguished Hall of Fame playing career, became the voice of Sunday Nights with John Miller. Um, I can tell you the amount of nights in my childhood that I went to bed to John Miller and Joe Morgan calling a Sunday night baseball game. There were a lot of them. Uh, they were the preeminent voice of baseball at night and the weekends for many, many, many years on ESPN. Uh, Miller, of course, still does Giants games. So if you out in the Bay Area and you want to listen to a great broadcaster, John Miller is still working this many years later. We also have lost Bob Gibson. Uh, I did the episode about Tom Seaver. We've lost Whitey Ford, uh, the longtime Yankee and the chairman of the board. Lou Brock. And number six was earlier this year, and that was Al Kaline. So it's been a rough year for baseball fans. Uh, All six of them, Hall of Famers. All six of them in the argument for the best at their position. With Brock, of course, having the stolen base record. Before Ricky Henderson broke it in the early, in the 90s. Then you had Kaline, who was a Tiger from basically birth. He was 18 when he came up. All the way through his retirement. Uh... Joe Morgan today, who started in Houston and went to Cincinnati. And of course, the franchise, Tom Seaver, uh, who we lost just a few short weeks ago. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the Mets tonight. But the second topic is actually what the first episode of Big Recon was all about ever. And if anybody's ever heard it, you know what I'm talking about. And that is what happened last night. In the NBA, and that is LeBron James led the Los Angeles Lakers to their 17th NBA championship, tying the record of the Boston Celtics. Now, we can say what we want about LeBron and his records, and I will, I promise, I will do an episode of the Michael Jordan versus LeBron debate. But I want to go deeper into last night and what it meant for other players there and what it meant for who they were playing for. It was just 10 short months ago that we lost Kobe Bryant in a tragic accident that took the life of both Kobe and his daughter Gianna. This was one for Kobe and I was never the biggest Kobe Bryant fan. I was I respected his game. I can remember we were on our way to Ohio to watch the Mets play against the Cleveland Indians. Um, in 2016, uh, his final game. And I remember seeing what he did on the ESPN app that was buzzing me like crazy. 
And I couldn't believe what I was watching. I'm like, Kobe's going for this many in his final game? Look, the Lakers did a great thing. And in a weird year for the NBA uh, with COVID and having to shut down, the NBA champion is normally crowned around Father's Day. It's the middle of October when they're usually gearing up to start playing again at the end of October to start the regular season. That's not to be in the current current situation. Uh, But the Lakers outlasting the Miami Heat, winning last night, winning pretty handily too. Um, Jimmy Butler gave us a performance for the ages in Game 5, but you saw it took the physical toll on him as he was walking off the podium. Um... In uh, after game five, before game six, the I did not watch much of this finals. I did watch game five, um, when they had the Kobe jerseys on. Um, I was looking to see if LeBron would win his fourth ring that night, and I'll be honest with you, I was pulling for him, and I'm pulling for him because of the man off the court. Not so much for the man on the court. Because when you get on the court, I am a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. As you can see up above my right arm. uh, The Cavaliers logo with the big Greek and BR on it. Um, I'm a Cavaliers fan. It's a Larry Nance jersey in my my closet. Uh, But the man who has exceeded every expectation that has been put on him by the media... He deserved last night, and he does deserve a lot of the respect that he was requesting be put on his name. Anthony Davis was huge. He hit the dagger. Um, It was nice to see JR take his shirt off again. Brought back some memories. Um, It was around this time four years ago, I think like either next week or the following week, that the Cleveland Cavaliers raised their banner in 2016, and then you walked across the street to game one of the World Series when the Indians played against the Chicago Cubs. I will say this about last night. LeBron's fourth ring starts making you wonder where does he have to go to change the minds of most of the men and women in the media who have already decided there is no way he can be the greatest of all time because of what Michael Jordan accomplished. I'm going to dive into this very soon because very soon you're going to see the show be a lot of Saturday and Sunday with Ohio State and Browns pregame most weekends and it will dabble in during the week here and there. But this is going to get to the point where this is going to be a big episode, where I'm going to dive into the numbers, and I'm going to dive into where people stand on this and what makes them stand there. I promised in my first episode when I talked about LeBron leaving the Cavaliers to go to the Lakers, and what I felt his legacy was, and what I felt his motivation was, I promised I would do this based on statistical fact, not just my own opinions. So we're going to get into it, and it's going to be a heavy episode. Also coming soon is the 2020 Big Ten preview and, of course, the deep dive into the Ohio State Buckeyes and their ch- and their quest for a fourth consecutive Big Ten championship. Fourth down, Brady. Sorry. Um, in all seriousness, we're going to get into Ohio State season, and it's it should be a really good one. With the returning players and the question marks, And I'll leave one here for you to kind of tease it. This will be the first time Ohio State does not go into a season with a defensive end not named Bosa, Bosa, or Young 
in a lot of years. Going to be an interesting one. So, Mets wrap-up, 2020. 60-game sprint. What did we learn? We learned that the Mets are going to make even more hair come off my head. It was an interesting season. And it started pretty bad for the Mets. I'm going to flip this around, because this is one of the spring training hats from this year. And it started in spring training with the loss of Noah Syndergaard to Tommy John surgery. The beauty of this is Syndergaard had the surgery before COVID really hit, and they were no longer doing um, non-medically necessary surgical procedures. So he has actually been rehabbing this whole time. So that's a good thing moving forward. But coming into the new setup, the new 60-game season, the no fans in the stands, but there's a cardboard cutout of me there, and I'm going to pick it up uh, this coming weekend. Um, What did I enjoy about this season? I enjoyed the sprint. I enjoyed that every game meant so much. I enjoyed that, besides talking to Tone and to Alex, people were into baseball because it was there. As far as my Mets go, this was a very disappointing season. This is a team that has a ton of talent. Yes, we lost Cespedes to an opt-out under very, very questionable circumstances. We lost Marcus Stroman to an opt-out after an injury. David Peterson was not supposed to make his Major League debut this year, but Waka and Porcello were not very good. We have question marks about Steven Matz going into this offseason. The one question mark we're not going to have for several more years is Jacob deGrom. What an amazing shortened season for Jacob deGrom. He's going to go down as leading the National League in strikeouts with 104 in less than that many innings pitched. I mean, he was dominant at times, but he had hiccups. And that's why I think Trevor Bauer is going to win the National League Cy Young Award. Um, Pete Alonso now holds the record for most home runs in... I think it's 100 and first 200 games. He broke the record Aaron Judge had set a few years ago. He's been doing that a bunch. Uh, Alonzo, who had an off year, who did not hit for a high average, still hit 16 homers in 60. In he played less than 60 games. But the breakout star for the Mets this year was Dominic Smith. Now I've said on the podcast before. I firmly believe that the Mets don't have to spend a ton of money this offseason, but I think they're gonna. To make this team a winner for now and for years to come. Here's why. I firmly believe that the Mets should move Pete Alonso to third base and let Dominic Smith play first base every day. Dom was an absolute revelation. An absolute revelation. Was in the top two or three in the National League in extra base hits, doubles, home runs. I mean, he had an amazingly, oh my God, what a statistical year Dominic Smith had. Tone actually picked him in his uh, fantasy league, and he paid off huge dividends for his team. And he plays gold glove caliber first base. He can be moved to the outfield if you need him to, but he was a very consistent left-handed bat, not only off the bench, but in the lineup when he got the chance to play. I think the only thing that saves the Mets is if the DH moves forward in the National League, although I don't think it's going to. Then we go to second base, where Robinson Cano did not look like the Robinson Cano of last year. Bat speed seemed to be there. He got some timely hits, hit for some power. Played great. His defense was still really good. Maybe Cano's got some ball left. I personally think they should trade him, 
But maybe Cano's got some ball left. Shortstop got interesting this year. Ahmed Rosario has been given every chance to make shortstop his own for the New York Mets for the next 10 years. Young kid. And he hasn't been able to do that. So the Mets brought up their young phenom, Andres Jimenez, and he was better than advertised. He is a gold glove caliber shortstop right now. That's saying a lot about a rookie, but I'll say it again. Gold glove right now. Last guy I saw like this, gold glove caliber right now as a rookie, was Andrelton Simmons. And he won a gold glove as a rookie. His bat got better as the season went on. The piece that the Mets have been missing has been speed at the top of the lineup. And really, they've been missing it since Jose Reyes was there, even back as late as 2018. He gives the Mets the speed at the top of the lineup. I watched a series they played, and I can't remember who it was against. I think it was against Philly. But in one game, he hit his first dinger. It wasn't Philly. It was one of the American League teams. I can't remember who it was. Might have been the Red Sox. But in one game, I saw him hit a booming triple to center field that it was the day Reyes announced his final retirement. But he hits a booming triple to center field, which I found fitting. And then a couple innings later, he drags a bunt. No one does that anymore. No one drags bunts anymore. It's not something people do because power is the game now. He hit for power, but it was timely power. It wasn't all the time. It wasn't, I'm going to be a power hitter. It was, okay, I got a ball to drive. I'm going to drive it. He uses all fields really well. And, again, gold glove caliber defense. If he didn't get hurt during part of the year and have to sit down a few games, I really think Jimenez won the na- would have won the National League Rookie of the Year. Third base. Was manned by a couple of different guys. It was manned by Jeff McNeil. It was manned by J.D. Davis. And it was manned by Todd Frazier. Yes, that's right. At the trade deadline, the Mets went out and got their clubhouse leader back in Todd Frazier. And it's funny, because after the trade deadline, the Mets picked up a little bit. Got back in it. Ultimately falling short. Moving out to the outfield, another amazing year from Michael Conforto. Top 10 in batting average. Top 10 in slugging percentage. Top 10 in home runs. Top 10 in RBIs. Played gold glove caliber de- plays gold glove caliber defense in the outfield. Brandon Nimmo is where I think the Mets can upgrade, and I'm not saying get rid of him. I'm saying move him out of center field. The Mets need an everyday center fielder, or move Conforto and get a corner guy. It doesn't matter. The Mets need a center fielder. The draft picks they've had in the last couple of years that play the outfield could play center field, but they're not anywhere near ready yet. So you need a stopgap. My stopgap for them is Jackie Bradley or George Springer. If you bring in George Springer, and let's say the DH continues next year, and you have a lineup with Jimenez, Springer, Alonzo, Smith, McNeil, Conforto, that's a heck of a lineup to throw out there every day. To go with the pitching, that's a team you don't want to mess with. Let's hope Steve Cohen can actually make some of this happen. The Mets' bugaboo again this year was their bullpen. But it wasn't Edwin Diaz. Because Diaz had one of the more dominant seasons that no one paid attention to. Because his blown saves happened quickly. And they also happened against teams you can't blow saves against. The New York Yankees. 
The Mets could have taken five out of six from the Yankees. And they blew several games in that series. After sweeping a doubleheader at Yankee Stadium, they lost on Saturday late, and they blew both games in a doubleheader on Sunday again late. They end up splitting the season series when Pete Alonso hit the walk-off home run in that emotional game post-Tom uh, Seaver's uh, passing. Dellon Batances never got into a groove, but it's tough with a short season coming off of the injuries he was. Justin Wilson was pretty good. Uh, Jury's Familia showed me that he's still got it at times, but he's got to get consistent. The revelation this year in the bullpen was chasing Shreve of all people. I like the move coming into the season to bring him in for left-handed death behind Justin Wilson. I did not know Shreve was going to pitch to a sub-2 ERA until his final appearance when he finally had a bad day. He was phenomenal, holding leads, keeping the Mets in games for them to come back late like they did several times this season. He was great. He just had that one bad outing toward the end, which helped put the final nail in the coffin on the 2020 season. Edwin Diaz pitched like a closer this year when he wasn't closing games. He was striking out something like 18 dudes every nine innings. His ERA was not terrible. But the problem was when the situation needed it, he did not come through as often as we needed to in a shortened season. If he would have put up those numbers over 162 with, say, 55, 60 appearances, no Met fan would have been upset. Now, if he blew the games against the Yankees, they'd have been upset. But no Met fan would have been upset had he done the same thing he did in the 60-game season over 162. Because over 162, if you get streaky and get hot, you can reel some wins off and get back in a race. With this year, it's just not something you were able they were able to do. My outlook for the Mets for 2021 is pretty positive. We have a great group, a great core of that team coming back. With Alonzo and Dom Smith and Jeff McNeil and, of course, Jacob deGrom, uh, Noah Syndergaard will be healthy and I believe will be retained by the Mets. David Peterson, who showed great flashes during his run as a rookie, I think will be a left-handed staple in that lineup, in that rotation. I think if you can't re-sign Marcus Stroman, you have to move Seth Lugo into the rotation. He was phenomenal, and he was a great 1A to go with Jacob deGrom. But at the end of the day, the ace will be the ace, and he is the best pitcher in baseball. The things I watched him do this season were just unreal. My two favorite deGrom moments. The first one was on opening day. He's down 2-0 to Freddie Freeman. And he throws a 2-0 changeup at 92 and dots the inside corner. Freeman looked down, looked out at DeGrom, like, really? And DeGrom started laughing. That's how you know he was locked in. My second favorite DeGrom moment was his final start when he just left it all out on the mound. And he was trying to win a Cy Young. Unfortunately, Trevor Bauer had a better year. Trevor Bauer was unreal all season. Could Bauer be a New York Met come next season? It's possible. So let's play GM. What do I see the New York Mets doing for 2021? Well, first things first, I see them with a new GM. I don't believe Brody Van Wagenen will be retained by Steve Cohen, as it has been announced that Cohen will bring back Sandy Alderson to run baseball operations. Sandy will then hire a GM. Will he try and get Paul D. Podesta back away from the Browns? I don't know. 
would be a good move. De Podesta helped him build the 2015 pennant winner. J.P. Ricciardi is another guy who helped him build it. Is Omar Minaya going to get another shot at being the GM of the New York Mets? There are so many unanswered questions for this team going into 2021, and the scary part is not a lot of it's on the roster. They talk about wanting a catcher. Let's get this straight. J.T. Realmuto does not deserve $200 million. He is not Mike Piazza. Forget it. He's not. He's not going to hit you 35 bombs. He's not going to hit 300. And guess what? He's 30 already. He wants a $200 million deal, which means he wants one to the pack, to the point where he's going to catch at the age of 40? I don't think so. You want to give him five for 100? Fine. Fine. Do not let JT Ramuto get $200 million. But don't let him go back to Philly either. Do they retain the services of guys like Todd Frazier and Robinson Chirinos to be backups? Do they stay with Tomas Nito? I think the GM that comes in needs to answer two questions right away. One, are you going to make a big splash this offseason with a trade? Because the name being floated in New York, guys, is Francisco Lindor. And as much as I would love to see Frankie Lindor in New York because he is just an irreverent personality, a phenomenal shortstop, maybe the best in the game, I'm a purist. And I say I'm a purist, and I'll give you an example. When the Mets made the run to the pennant in 2015, during Game 5 of the World Series, uh, Cespedes fouled the ball off his leg and was pulled out. And I sat there, and I'm listening to Howie Rose and to Josh Lewin, who was Howie's partner at the time. And I'm realizing who's out in the field. Curtis Granderson was in right. Juan Lagares was in center. Michael Conforto was in left. Captain at third. Wilmer Flores at short. Daniel Murphy at second. Lucas Duda at first. Travis Darno behind the dish. The Dark Knight on the bump. Eight out of the nine guys in the Mets lineup right there all made their major league debut with the New York Mets. They were all homegrown, whether acquired by draft, free agency, or trades. They all made their major league debut with the New York Mets. Murphy and Wright being the longest tenured guys there to go with Duda. That gave me a sense of pride that my team was built from within and the guys they brought in were to accentuate what they had. That's what the Mets can do this coming offseason. Adding a George Springer to the outfield of Michael Conforto and J.D. Davis or a platoon of J.D. Davis and Dom Smith. Adding, if you add Real Muto, it's got to be because your rotation, which by the way, DeGrom's homegrown, Peterson's homegrown, if you retain Steven Matz, he's homegrown. If you retain Noah Syndergaard, he's homegrown. Seth Lugo, Gaselman, Jury's Familia, all homegrown. The Mets have a core of players they developed that they can move forward with and win. And not just win next year, win for a few years to come yet. And there's guys behind him. If you don't make a deal for Francisco Lindor, because Rosario and Nimmo would have to be in that deal. I don't think Cleveland gives him up for less than that. Plus minor leaguers. You still have Andres Jimenez who can play shortstop like nobody else. If you move on from Robinson Cano, which I believe is going to have to happen. May have to pay his salary, but you got to move on from him. If you can move Robinson Cano to the, to the American League, 
Now you can play Jimenez at second to go with Francisco Lindor at short, and that's pretty scary. That's how good that middle infield is. And you add a George Springer who's an above-average, well, more than above-average defender and center. Now you have, and if you add Real Muto, and I'm really spending a lot of Steve Cohen's money right now, but at least I know this guy's going to spend money. Um, and you add Real Muto, that's a heck of a lineup up the middle to go with the stellar starting pitching, to go with the power bats in the middle of that lineup. The Mets could be tough. The Mets could be real tough. But again, this season was a little bit of a disappointment with not making it to the playoffs in a shortened season where a bunch of teams did. To watch the Miami Marlins beat the Cubs in the divisions, division round, or I'm sorry, the wild card round, uh, that was rough. To see Travis Darno doing what he's doing in Atlanta makes me want to rip the rest of this little bit of hair I got left on my head out. All in all, it was an enjoyable season for this Mets team, one that will never soon be forgotten, mostly because of the circumstances under which it was played. If I had to give this season a letter grade, I'd give it a C minus. Yes, they didn't make the playoffs in a shortened season. Yes, they didn't make the playoffs in an expanded playoffs. We learned a lot about this team. We learned that there is a future ahead of us. We learned that now with Steve Cohen coming in, there's going to be a future ahead of us that includes a guy who's going to be willing to put the finances into the organization that need to bring a championship back to Queens. Little history note. 34 years ago yesterday, Lenny Dykstra hit the walk-off home run in Game 3 of the, ni- of the 1986 National League Championship Series. And 34 years ago tomorrow, Gary Carter <sighs> lined a single up the middle off of Charlie Kerfeld to bring in Wally Backman to give the Mets the win in Game 5. Which means in two days, it will be 34 years since the greatest postseason game in Major League history, Game 6 of the 1986 NLCS between the Houston Astros and the New York Mets. In the Astrodome. It's been too long. Since a championship. Resided in Queens. Yes. The Mets are the last New York team to make it to the World Series. But the last time the Yankees went. They won the dang thing. We lost in five. Mets fans are starving for a championship. It's coming. But it's not here yet. So one last tidbit before I go, I want to talk about yesterday real quick and the Cleveland Browns. Again, the 4-1 Cleveland Browns. Hard to even fathom at times, especially after seeing how bad they were week one against Baltimore. I will have full coverage. Big Recon Browns pregame Sunday morning. Look about 11 o'clock. They are in Pittsburgh this week. We're going to dive deep. It's not going to be the normal 15-minute thing. This is a big game. Probably the biggest game the Browns have had since they came back in 1999, this early in the season. I will do a recap of this game, but I want to say this. That game yesterday proved to me that the Browns did the right thing in the offseason by not only hiring Kevin Stefanski, but letting Kevin Stefanski bring in Bill Callahan and then drafting Jedrick Wills Jr. The offensive line has been outstanding. And Miles Garrett is an absolute monster. Sorry, Joe. We talked yesterday. A lot of injury stuff with the Colts. I get it. Go Browns. 
So let's talk about the upcoming Big Rican stuff. Starting the 24th of October, I will be a Saturday and Sunday pregame home for the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Cleveland Browns. As the cats go crazy, I am sorry. Um, I'm also going to pepper in the LeBron Jordan debate episode, which I'm going to dive pretty deep into the numbers. I'm not going to dive into anything else, but I'm going to dive into the numbers. I'm going to give each guy his due for as good as he was. And I'll give my opinion, but I'm going to base it on fact. Also, Ohio State begins the 24th, which means that week I will be going into the 2020 Big Ten preview. Only after Monday night, October 19th, 9 p.m., the boys are coming back. At least Alex said he is. I'm sure Tone will too. But the boys are coming back. The 2020 Big Recon World Series preview featuring Alex from Row 7 Podcast and Tone from the Cardboard and Cracker Jacks podcast will be live on both Facebook and YouTube at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Monday night, October the 19th. And I will have a special guest host with me. No surprises till that night. So this is episode 76, and when I started this thing two years ago, a little over two years ago, I didn't think it would be this much fun. It really has been. It has been it's been an absolute blast. And to do things with guys like Tone and Joe and Alex, my buddy Nick, who I talk to all the time, who was our, my first guest um, just over two years ago when we did the live hit from the uh, Spring Hill Suites in Columbus, the night before Ohio State played against Tulane, and the night after Baker Mayfield came off the bench to beat the New York Jets in the Cleveland Browns' first win in 630 days. I have enjoyed this immensely, and I will continue to enjoy it immensely. But I'm going to leave this as the last part as I come across the half hour. I never imagined it'd be on this many outlets. I never imagined I'd meet some of the greatest dudes on the planet. I never imagined I've had people actually listen to what I have to say. So I want to thank everybody and do one of these. A little tip of the cap to you for listening, for engaging, and also for letting me ramble into your speakers for over a half hour some nights. As always, Big Recon can be found on the Timescube as a proud member of the Timescube Podcast Network at timescube.com. We are also on Google Podcast, uh, Radio Public, Breaker, Anchor, Spotify, Big Recon on Sports on YouTube, Big Recon on Sports on Facebook, at Big Recon on Sport on Twitter, and of course the Big Recon on Sports uh, Instagram page where I throw links up to anybody who likes to go on Instagram. I will see you guys Sunday morning for the big Browns-Pittsburgh Steelers pregame. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening, and let's go Mets.